Hey gang, uh, good to be here with you again. It, <laughs> so I have been wrestling with the dumb internet all morning and uh, I know probably most of you are at work and doing very important things, but my last attempt at uh, recording a live video didn't go so hot. So I'm gonna try and do this one again. And if this one doesn't work, well then we're just gonna have to wait till next Tuesday when the internet fairies come to fix whatever is wrong with the internet in my office. So. Uh, we're looking today at Ephesians chapter 5. Um, it's been a couple weeks since I've been able to be with you. Uh, and uh, last time we left off at verse 14, and we're sort of in the section of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, where we are hearing basically like how it is we should live this life. Now that we've been saved and that God has set us apart for his uh, purposes, uh, what does it look like to, to walk in that? And uh, we pick it up here at verse 15, where Paul says, quote, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And the word for look carefully is a present verb. So it's something that we're being told to continually look carefully. Then how we walk this life, not as fools, but as wise people, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. And the word for making the best use of the time there, for making, um, is the word that we use to, that we translate redeem. So it could be translated, and maybe some of your translations actually have this, uh, redeem the time because the days are evil. The, the natural tendency is, because, is the days are not going so well. And so, um, you know, we want to try and redeem some of that back. We want to try and buy some of that time back that naturally is... Uh, spent in ways that is not good for us or for the world around us. Therefore, do not be foolish, verse 17 says, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's the reading. So a short little passage in Ephesians chapter 5, packed full of wisdom. Uh, in the 1960s, uh, futurists were predicting that our world today, at this time, would be a world that had one overarching problem. And the overarching problem would be complete and utter boredom. And the reason we'd be bored is because our technology would have advanced so much that human beings would have struggled to find something to do with their time. Arthur C. Clarke says it this way, The main result of all these developments will be to eliminate 99% of all human activity and to leave our descendants faced with a future of utter boredom where the main problem in life is deciding which of the several hundred TV channels to select, end quote. Now, is that true? Yeah, yes and no. Good morning, Nancy. Studies show that we, in fact, work more than ever before, that we spend more time in traffic than ever before, and we are sleeping less than ever before, at least in recorded history. But it is true that we have more ways of wasting time than ever before. Facebook can be a great 
uh, time suck. Twitter can be a terrible time suck. You can get into a debate about all the things there. Uh, you can go on Instagram and waste your time being jealous of other people's lives that look like they're doing better things than you. And, of course, there are the thousands of TV channels that you can uh, watch, and most of them are garbage, but there's enough of them there that you could occupy your whole day just watching them. And so the Bible does tell us we need to read... Uh, one of the ways or we need to think about our life is to redeem the time, to take some of it back from our tendency to, to waste it. Or the way Paul uses, uh, describes it here, to, uh, to give into the evil that is there. And evil in this context, I think, is specific to being wasteful with the time God has given us. There's other parts where Jesus talks about the days being short, the time is short. You know, there's an urgency. There's an urgency all the time. So, uh, so what does the Apostle Paul say we should do to redeem the time? Well, first of all, he says in verse 17, understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, how is it that we understand what the will of the Lord actually is? Uh, if you would ask me when I was 14 and I was trying to decide whether God wanted me to ask out a girl or not, the way I tried to decide uh, the will of the Lord was by throwing a piece of garbage into a trash can. And if I made it, that was a clear sign from God that I was supposed to ask her out. And if I didn't make it, then it was a clear sign from God that I wasn't supposed to ask her out. And my guess is that you've tried to discern the will of the Lord in some degree or another that way in your life. Well, I'm here to tell you that that is not what Paul is getting after here. He is not urging us to try and figure out the will of the Lord by uh, casting lots or by drawing straws or by playing cards or sort of, you know, these chance things. But in fact, when, when he talks about understanding the will of the Lord, he's talking about understanding the word of the Lord. Because in Colossians 3.16, a parallel passage to this, he says that very thing, that it's about understanding the word of the Lord to understand the will of the Lord. Indeed, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 extrapolates that further when he tells Timothy about all the benefits that come from knowing Scripture and from being steeped in it. Now, I do have to give a note of caution here. Just because you understand the word of the Lord doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to have all the answers to every individual question in your life about what you should do and what you shouldn't do. What God's word does give you is sort of boundaries and principles. It gives you sort of the idea of what's acceptable and what's not, but it doesn't tell you whether you're supposed to move to California or Oklahoma for a new job opportunity if both places are offering you a job. In that case, it gives you some wisdom from the Proverbs to say, well, what works better, what pays better, what's better for you know the ministry, what's better for me and my gifts. And yes, those kinds of questions... But the word of the Lord is where you find the broad will of the Lord. Don't expect that you're going to necessarily get very specific answers. The Bible nowhere told me that I was supposed to marry Melissa Snyder over 15 years ago. The Bible does not have that written down somewhere. But I discerned through, um, uh, through prayer and through talking to others and through um, excavating my own heart, my own desires, that yes, I want to marry this woman. And so, so we find the will of the Lord in the word of the Lord, and that, as we seek to understand that, is a redemption of our time, to understand the word of the Lord. Secondly, <clears throat> uh, Paul says in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. This is the way he puts it. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. 
Now, why would Paul contrast being filled with booze as opposed to being filled with the Spirit? Well, it might have something to do with some of the worship that was going on in Ephesus at the time. Uh, there was a god there worshipped quite commonly named Dionysus, and Dionysus believed he was the god of wine, and so his worshippers believed that if you got really drunk on wine, that you were getting really close to Dionysus, that you were hearing that you'd be able to sort of commune with him in that drunken state. Um, again, you can almost sort of always sort of tell man-made religions by that kind of stuff. It either involves lots of, like, uh, you know, deviant sex, or it involves, you know, getting high of some kind. Um, in, you know, in our day, that's still going on. Uh, from my old neck of the woods in California, there was a dude who called himself Reverend Bud Green. Uh, if you know anything about um, marijuana, then you don't need me to tell you what their sacrament was, with his name being Reverend Bud Green. Yes, I know. It's very creative. Uh, so, <clears throat> but this is the kind of thing Paul says, no, no, no. There was probably people, at least according to the Greek construction, there's a, there's a present tense command here. There was probably people that thought that they could do the same thing with Jesus in the Ephesian church. They get drunk and they thought in their drunken state that they were communing in a deeper way with the Lord. And Paul says, no, no, no. That's not what it means to be filled with the Spirit. That's not, uh, as a matter of fact, that's debauchery. And that's a word that we don't use much anymore, but that word debauchery means wastefulness. So that's a, the exact opposite of redeeming the time. It's wasting the time to drown your days in booze. So then what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit, Paul? Well, Paul makes it very clear that to be filled with the Spirit is to have constant ecstatic experiences. No. Paul makes it clear that it's going to be filled with endless moments of power and spontaneity? No. Indeed, Paul says to be filled with the Spirit is literally pretty basic, pretty simple, uh, really practical. Here's what it looks like. I mean, he describes it. He says, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, in spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So why do you sing in church? Because that's where the Spirit is working. It's, I mean, it's, it's that simple. Um, we are reminding each other of the great truths of God, and therefore we are encouraging each other. That doesn't sound very dramatic at all. It's very, very simple. It seems to look like the guy singing next to you out of key on, every, on any given Sunday. And it looks like the woman up there playing uh, on the piano. And it looks like us gathering for worship and the Spirit is filling us. But then continue with Paul's thought. He says, make melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So being filled with the Spirit is being thankful. Oh, how important it is for us to take time to count our blessings before the throne of heaven and to thank God. I, uh, I have a friend, uh, Matt Popovitz, who said the other day, uh, I confess that even when God is giving me so much that my cup is overflowing, the first thing I start to think is why my cup isn't bigger. And I can so relate to that. I can so relate to being prone to complaining and to whining. 
But when we take a moment to be thankful for what we have instead of what we don't have, or instead of the ways that we wish it was different, we realize that we have an awful, awful lot to be thankful for. Even in the toughest times, God is still giving. And so being filled with the Spirit looks like that. It looks like gathering around your table this Thursday on Thanksgiving, if you're here in the States, uh, and just taking a moment to look around you at uh, the people that are sitting next to you and at the turkey on your table and the cranberries and the, and by the way, not the real cranberries, like the, those canned things, that's the way you need to do it, um, et cetera, stuffing whatever and saying, oh, this is, this is from God. That's, that's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. Did you know that? I mean, isn't that crazy? Being filled with the Spirit, looks thank, it just looks thankful. I mean, I know, I know we, wanted to be, we want to think that being filled with the Spirit means like gold dust falling from the sky, but I'm telling you, most of the time it's just like, oh, I felt, I felt thankful. I must be filled with the Spirit. Pretty simple. But he goes on, he goes on. Uh, he says this, Give thanks always into everything for God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another oh man again so practical so being filled with the spirit means being humble to others around you uh, philippians 2 3 and 4 i think uh, really spell it out i'll just read the whole passage it says do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves Man, could there be any more evidence of the Spirit's presence in you than counting another person more significant than yourself? Is there anything more unnatural than that thing that Paul is commanding us to do? I would submit, no, there is not. And it is a clear evidence that God is at work when you do it. He goes on, verse 4, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Man, this is Spirit-filled work right here. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You have possession of it now, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So that's what it looks like. It looks like Jesus. Being filled with the Spirit looks like Jesus. That's really what it comes down to. And why do we seek to redeem the time? By being in the Word and by being filled with the Spirit of God? Why are we called to do this? Well, he says at the end, it's out of reverence for Jesus Christ. That's the last part of verse 21. And if you don't have that sort of as the motivation then I assure you that you won't be able to do any of the things very long that are listed in this passage. It just won't happen. Because here's what will happen. If you, if you uh, submit to other people because they're worthy of your submission, I promise you they will do something that will make them unworthy of your submission. If you uh, give thanks when only things seem to be worth giving thanks for, I promise there will be plenty of times that you will not give thanks. And I can go on down the list of all these things. But if we always remember, if we put at the forefront of our mind what Jesus Christ has done for us and what he says he's doing for us, namely that he's lived the perfect life in my place, that he's died the death I deserved, 
and declared that through that death my sins have been atoned for, that I'm a forgiven child of God who is promised to one day raise from the dead like he did, who is being interceded for literally right now at the right hand of the throne of God. Like that's never changing, folks. Like he's doing it now for you. When I recognize who this Savior actually is, I say, you know what? He's worthy of submission. He's worthy of thanks. He's worthy of singing to. He's worthy of getting to know more through his word. Yes, yes, that, that is what it's all about. That's what, the, what it's all about. It's recognizing how good Jesus is that then spurs us on towards all these other things. So, all right, with that, I hope that gives you a little bit of thankfulness as you enter the Thanksgiving week. I hope the internet worked this time. We'll see. Uh, with that, God bless you. Have a great week. See you next Tuesday.